I had two of the most godly parents that I knew, and just unconditional love flowed freely in our home. We always had strangers coming into our house, just random people, crazy looking people like me with weird beards and puffy hair. I dressed up for you guys. I didn't wear flip-flops. I wore my Tevas. So, yeah, this is pretty new, too. I got it at Walmart. It's like 25 bucks. Ridiculous. But one of the things that I experienced growing up was like this disconnect between what I saw at church and what happened like in the real world. I knew what happened inside my house. I saw my parents live it before me. But when I was like 15, I just ran away from God. I was like, God, I don't, there's too much hypocrisy. There's too many people that are, that are proclaiming Jesus and living like hell. And I don't really want anything to do with that. So I just ran. I just ran hard for seven years. And I said, I'm a good person. I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to just try not to hurt people. Just try to, you know, exist, have fun, be happy. Pursuit of happiness, right? That's what we're all entitled to, right? It's our unalienable right. Let me go for it. And I remember just finding myself in a wasteland after about seven years. I had a girlfriend for about three and a half years that I just worshipped, literally. Even paid her my tithes. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Women cost money. <laughs> it's true. So I worshipped her, and I, I gave her all of my time. You know, I gave her my first fruits. I gave her my soul. I really did. I came away empty. And I remember just kind of going on this journey, and, and all right, I'm going to throw myself into work, and became a workaholic and and the people that I worked with were they partied harder harder than they worked and so I did too and many drops of acid and many many empty kegs and shot glasses later found myself lying in my room after a month of just depression and I remember just going what is this life all about what is the point And just kind of reflecting when I wasn't sleeping, I was just laying there thinking and going, all right, God, what is it, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And I remember I, I woke up one day after a month and I, I walked to the mirror and I just looked in my own eyes and I said, you're an idiot. You know what the right thing is to do. Go do it. Be obedient. Submit your life to Christ. It was like somebody just turned on a switch all of a sudden, I, I was at home. All of a sudden, there was peace, and all of a sudden, there was joy, and it just it happened that fast. And yet, somewhere along the way, those things began to get robbed from me in my Christian experience as my eyes still got put on man. I was talking to Katie and Madison earlier, you know, and um, the pastors at E3, we all kind of cringe when we hear the, the pastor word. We call it the P-bomb. You know, it's like we're all hanging out, everything's normal, and all of a sudden somebody talks about how we're a pastor in the room, just goes, what? All of a sudden they, they kind of replay in their mind all of the things that they've said. <laughs> Was it appropriate? And I always say, if you can't say it at church, you shouldn't say it anywhere. God wants us to be real, he wants us to be authentic, he wants us, none of it's hidden from him anyway, you know. 
I remember just be, being jaded in my Christian experience even after I rededicated my life to the Lord. And as I came back, I still had my eyes on man and I began to just kind of ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you really, who is it that you've created me to be? What's my purpose? What's the point of my life? I think it's a question that we all ask. I hope it's a question that we all ask. And I began to just kind of explore the mystery of godliness. Why in the world did God, who is self-satisfied within himself, why did he come and seek me out? Why, after all of my sin and all of my expression of my depravity, why did he come with arms wide open and say, I accept you and I love you and I long for fellowship with you? I began to kind of experience this mystery. I remember when I was, when I was 12 years old, just taking a step back, kind of my first encounter with the presence of God. We were, we were in a church and we were singing a song and I remember this, this tingling down the back of my head. And I remember just kind of like this, this desire inside of me to raise my hands, you know, and I'm like 12 years old, and that's not what 12-year-olds did, right? <laughs> you know, we were all too cool for school back then, you know. We were too self-conscious. But I remember feeling, I remember experiencing, and it wasn't just a feeling, and it wasn't just a desire, but it was actually this, this thing that was inside of me that was a longing there was a hunger, that was a desire, that was a, that was a passion. That there's more to life than what exists outside of these four walls. There's more to life than me seeking my own desires and my own passions. I was reading this book yesterday, and this quote popped out at me. It says, we wake, if ever we wake at all, to mystery. I was like, wow, that's so true. And I took it in the spiritual context as we, as we go through our life and as we, we go about our day-to-day business. And there's so many people, you know, we, we see them out in the world. Maybe we feel like them sometime and they're, they're asleep at the wheel. They've got cruise control on and they're just going through life and this is what their parents told them to do. And this is what their friends think that they should do. And this is, this is how society and culture has told them that they should dress and how they should act and how they should react. And just kind of going through and they're, they're just asleep. They're, they're dead. And yet we encounter, when we encounter Christ, when God sends his spirit, when he strives with our spirit, we're the only ones, we're the only creation of his on the face of this earth that is made in his image. As we strive with him, as our spirit responds to him, suddenly there's this awakening, suddenly there's this life, suddenly there are these, these questions and these passions and these desires, and sometimes this confusion and sometimes this frustration. And we go through and we wrestle with all of these things, and we search for God's design, this primal design. Not primitive, not archaic, but this primal design, this, this original design of why I'm here. 
Why do I have breath? Why do I have thought? Why do I comprehend and grasp that there is a God when the rest of creation seems to just kind of go about its business? Pig goes and wallows in the mud and doesn't really think twice about it. A dog does what dogs do and doesn't really think about it. There's no conscience. And in that, I was thinking about it, and I was like, there's this primal design. I'm beginning to, to, to search it out and seek it out. And then this idea, this other big, huge part of our hearts, this, this idea of romance, this idea of being wooed, and this idea of, of being loved unconditionally for who we are, being accepted, being loved in unconditional fashion, not dependent upon what I do, but instead from God's perspective, dependent only upon who he is. That's why he loves us. Because we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and he is faithful to endless and endless generations. Because he is God and he cannot be anything else. I remember experiencing that and just being drawn into that and 12 years old just going, all right, I feel like there's this, this spirit, there's this, this passion, there's this heart, there's this lover of my soul. And the going out on the limb to begin this love affair with God. And so after I'd gone my own way and after I'd pretty much just abandoned God and done all of the things that I wanted to do, as I came back to him, I found that in this love affair, in this, in this wooing, in this li- listening to his heart and listening to his passion and listening to his love for me and listening to the, the different ways throughout the Bible and all of the different contexts and throughout the, all the different, you know, 1,500 years and throughout all, the, all of the different authors that, that God was crying out, that he was literally begging me to let me love him. And I found that I had no other option but to give in. That the drugs, they, they weren't satisfying. They were satisfying and they were pleasurable for a season. And they left me high and dry. The love of a, of a good woman. You know, listen to any country song and that's pretty much what they're going for. But, but at the end, we, we, find, we all find the end of ourselves. And, and people will always let us down. And yet God cries out and he says, I'm the one who holds fulfillment for all of your humanity. Sometimes we don't like that word, humanity. We forget that God looked upon us. And he says that our humanity is good. It's our depravity that sucks. It's our depravity that we have to battle. It's the sin nature, this Romans chapter 7 kind of battle where, you know, God's spirit is speaking to me and I want to do the things that I, that I know are right. As he woos me, as he whispers in a still small voice into my ear, as he, as he calls my name. And yet there's that part inside of me that just simply wants to get down and dirty. There's that part of me that that desires to defile myself 
There's that part of me that wants to be like a dog or be like a pig. To be like one of God's lesser creations. To forsake my conscience and to forsake his spirit, to quench his spirit and to say, all right, I'm frustrated and I'm angry. I'm confused. I've become apathetic. And so now, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I confess that even as a Christian, I've held that spirit. I confess that even as, as a follower of Christ, even as, as a man who is a spiritual leader of my home and a spiritual leader within my community, I confess that I've held that spirit. I've battled with things like pornography and lust. I've battled with an addiction to myself. It's my greatest addiction. Me. I love myself so much. It's called pride. So I constantly have to go before God and I have to, I have to say, God, you are God. And I am not. And I want what you want. I desire what you want. And the answer to all of this is pretty much a life of faith. It isn't about what we know. It's interesting in our, in our age of information, in our age of knowledge, as we sit here on a, a campus which increases our knowledge. Knowledge increases at today, today's day and age at the rate of uh, it's doubling almost every 18 months. Information, knowledge, is doubling every 18 months. So when we look at that, we go, well, it's impossible for me to hold the capacity of all of those things. Take a step back in time and you you think of, of Galileo and what he understood about the universe, what he apprehended about God's creation. And then fast forward, you know, here we are with our with our telescopes that can see millions of light years away. Has God changed? Or has my 21st century experience jaded me? To think that there's some truth, that there's some hope in in the acquisition of this knowledge. The truth is, capital T, truth, is Jesus Christ. And it isn't dependent upon what we know, but who we know. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, you know there's these people who, who have this form of godliness. And Jesus gives this little parable and he, he kind of flips the book to the last page and he says, all right, people are going to come before me and I'm going to separate them into the sheep and the goats and then all of the sheep I'm going to send off, you know, to enjoy. And some of those people who are goats are going to say, but wait a second, we're, we're actually sheep. We, we cast out demons in your name. We delivered our bodies to be burned. We, we fed the poor. We went and visited people in prison. We, we did all of these good things in your name, Christ. In your name, Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me. So the question really isn't about what we know to do doing the right thing. It's who we know and then why we do the things that we do. And if our goal and if our purpose is anything less than putting a smile on our daddy's face, we've missed the point. 
if our goal is anything less than responding to the great love that God has given us, that he has shown to us, then we've sinned. We've, we've missed the mark. We've missed the very point of our existence, the path to joy, the path to fulfillment. Because we're only here to do two things, and that's love God and love people. The rest of the Bible's commentary on how to do that. But the heart, the heart can never change. Hebrews makes a bold statement and says, whatever is not a faith is sin. So when I come here and I lift my voice, maybe if I'm not doing it in faith, if I'm, if I'm doing it because some people invited me, because it's the Christian thing to do, a plate goes around and I throw my money in and I do it out of some kind of compulsion instead of doing it cheerfully as unto God with a heart of faith knowing that I'm being obedient. I've missed the point. And this is one of those challenging things in our faith because faith, it's not blind. But sometimes it goes against our senses. The mystery. And if anything, if that's the one, if there's one sentence that I could say to you is, is embrace the mystery of godliness with a, with a heart of faith. Embrace the wonder of God and the boundlessness, the infiniteness of God with a heart of faith. Let him blow your mind. Let him not knock your socks off. Explore the, the infiniteness, the boundlessness of his love. Like Paul encourages us in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, that we might know what is the height and the breadth and the depth. What is the width of his love? The unsearchable, unsearchable riches of God. Go for it. I dare you. It's not some kind of treasure hunt with a, with a map, you know, and, and maybe it's there and maybe it isn't. It's a given. It's real. It's tangible in many, many ways. And many of those ways are in the people that are sitting around you that God has placed next to you to share his love with. So scripture verse I want to close with. It's in Second Timothy it's chapter 3, first five verses, and it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of Obama. Oh, wait, sorry. Sorry, that's not what it says. It's not the inspired version. Actually says McCain. Men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I have been and there are times when I am a lover of myself. I have been a lover of money. I am in many ways a very proud person. I have blasphemed God, been disobedient to my parents. I've been unthankful, ungrateful, I've been unholy, I've been unloving, unforgiving, I've been a slanderer, I've been without self-control, I've been brutal, I have despised good, I've been a traitor. Many ways I am headstrong, I have been haughty. I confess that I have been a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. And there are many times that I've had a form of godliness and denied its power. Where I've refused the moving of the Spirit. Where I've not let the living, breathing, active, rhema, living word of God come in and change me and mold me and shape me. And cut me open and pull out the cancer but I don't want to be like those things. And to be able to say that is nothing less than the grace of God. To be able to say that and proclaim that I want all that Jesus Christ has for me is nothing less than the Spirit of God working in me. And I hope that every single one of us can stand in these next couple songs as we lift our voices in worship and say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want to be uninhibited in my worship of you. Not in my song, in my breath. In the expression of my life as you have created me to live it, using the gifts and the talents and the strengths in the way that you have uniquely designed me. There's no one that can be you but you. There's no one that can be you but you. And God has created you to explore that in a life of faith, to abound in his grace, to abound in your faith with him, to grow in his love, and to embrace and search out the mystery of all that godliness holds. Amen? Let's pray. Father God.